Sachenko, and you're listening to Apple Talks, a podcast that brings stories in Apple Magazine to life to help you and your family lead healthier and happier lives. Today, you'll hear from Dr. Chip Taylor. He's talking to a group of teachers at the Calgary Teachers Convention in 2016. He's a professor of psychology at the Citadel Military College in South Carolina and a visiting research chair at the University of Calgary. His work is ADHD. He's trained as a pediatric psychologist and works with kids in hospital and his clinic in South Carolina. says there's a conversation about whether ADHD is real or if it's something doctors have made up. He says the idea of people having difficulty paying attention goes as far back as the 1700s when Sir Crichton, a Scottish doctor, first described the cluster of symptoms in his book. Since that initial description, ADHD has been called a lot of things. Even since the 1940s, it's evolved from minimal brain syndrome to attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But despite the name's evolution, Taylor says we've reached a point where the diagnosis now remains unchanged. And what has changed, he says, is how often U.S. kids are being diagnosed with the disorder. The diagnosis, you all know this, um, six symptoms of inattention or impulsivity. You've got to have impairment in at least two settings, so not just at school, but school and home, um, or school and work for adults. Uh, impairment in academic functioning, and nothing else that can attribute or be called that. So what else have we talked about that could lead you to have inattention? Sleep. Sleep, yeah. What else? Anxiety. Anxiety. Trauma. Trauma. Toxic stress. Hunger. Right? Lots of things. So there's got to be a pretty significant rule out. Um, let me skip ahead to the genetic contribution. So when I've got a family in my office clinically and I'm making a diagnosis of ADHD, one, I am cautious and judicious in that approach because too often it's done knee-jerk. You see a behavior, a set of behaviors, and you react, and you send them to the doctor, and the doctor prescribes a stimulant, and the stimulant works because what do stimulants do for everybody? They help us, right? Unless what? Unless you're bipolar. If you're bipolar, it makes you a really fun date, but it's not something you want to take consistently, right? So, so the stimulants are going to be effective and helpful for people regardless of whether or not they truly have a diagnosis. Now, in the States, that causes some problems. I haven't gotten enough in the education system here to know that, but in the States, we have kids, particularly in Charleston, uh, particularly in South Carolina, that go to private schools. Most children go to private schools in South Carolina at least through eighth grade. Ours is one through five is elementary. Um, is that right? Yeah, six, seven, and eight is middle. And ninth through twelfth is high school. So lots and lots of kids go to private school. The funding for public schools is not that great. Uh, they're, they're dangerous, as I've prescribed walkers of the public school for a different reason, but he's there because he's playing ball and he's doing some IV work, which is a nice thing to have done, but for the most part, they're kind of scary. So you've got these people paying money for their kids to go to school. 
So kindergarten, first grade, $15,000. So there is, there's a significant amount of pressure placed on teachers to get results because the parents are paying the money to have the results. Likewise, in the public sector, there's a significant amount of pressure placed on teachers to get the standardized scores the right way because that keeps you from being a failing school. So what does a teacher not want to have in their classroom if they've got those pressures on them? Someone who has got ADHD, who's all over the place, or is, is acting in a way that's not consistent with sit still, be quiet, and do your job. So that has, the system has in some way driven the equation. Um, but there is a genetic contribution. If we have a true diagnosis, I look at the parents and I say, which one of you is typically he, he most like? And often they point to each other, but as we, as we discuss it, we figure out that there is a genetic contributor. It's about 0.7. It's one of the highest rated um, genetic contributing psychiatric disorders that we have. It's 0.7. So a mother or a father is going to have that type of disorder, diagnosed or not, treated or not, if their children have it, if it's really there, if it's not something we're just haphazardly doing. It's really important because I'm going to try to teach these parents how to reduce the stress in the household, to be consistent, to have follow-through, and their ADHD as can be and can't find their keys, purse, or wallet. So the likelihood of that working is pretty, pretty bleak. So you look, at, you look at the outcomes. I'm not going to show you the video. There's a video that you ought to look up. It's by Sir Ken Robinson. It's an animation thing where he draws on a board. But, but look it up, and it's 11 minutes, and, and I really implore you to watch it because it talks about the pseudo-epidemic of ADHD in the United States. And what he says is this, that if you look at the prescriptions written for stimulants across the country, from Oklahoma to D.C., you have an increase in prescriptions, prescriptions being written for stimulants. And South Carolina is in the crosshairs. So I've got kids who are in classrooms that are in private schools and there may be five or six kids on meds because they have been recommended to be assessed by their teachers and the teachers, the parents go to the pediatrician, the pediatrician's got 10 minutes, they're not specialists there, they're like GPs, they go 10 minutes, they do some Vanderbilt scales, they make the diagnosis, they put the kid on a stimulant, the kid goes back to school and life is better. also says one of the biggest issues with ADHD is its connection to bullying and ostracism. His research shows that children with behaviors that disrupt the classroom are at a greater risk for being bullied and for bullying others. Our research in ADHD has shown that the externalizing kids, primarily boys, often b get bullied by their peers. They are the bullier later on because they have poor impulse control and they've learned that behavior that's in their behavioral repertoire and they replicate it. And they, so they are the bully victim as well. And the problem is we overutilize this word bully. And we got a bully in the White House right now. I, I could diagnose that and say, yeah, yeah, that one qualifies. But lots of things don't qualify as bullying. And the, the word has a connotation that people don't like. So we need to, the take home point I want to leave you with is I want you to be really aware of what bullying is. 
Bullying is simply a power imbalance that is repeated over time. There is a chronicity to it. It is not you saying to me, your accent's silly and you got a goofy bow tie. I met you one time, I'll walk away, I won't think about it again. If every time I come in here that happens to me, I'm being bullied. It's a chronicity. There's a power imbalance that occurs. Someone has got power over me that they can rule over me in a way that intimidates me. And the, in the actions are intended to harm the target. So do you see how that's different than picking on or normal social aggression that happens for, as far as development and figuring out who you are and what you're about? Ostracism is another one just to highlight. Ostracism is, occurs when I don't even act as if you exist. And you talk about a toxic stressor. The same regions of the brain light up when you are ostracized as would light up if you were experiencing physical pain. Very same ones. And it's been around for a long time. This is after the Battle of Marathon. Um, the Athenians would write down names of people they wanted to kick out of the, out of the cities and they'd be ostracized for 10 years. Again, nothing is new under the sun, it's just how we're discussing it. Um, Real impact. Bullying long-term doesn't help anything. Social atten School attendance drops, achievement drops. Um, you have distraction that can threaten your academics. All types of problems. Bullying does not build character. That is a very dated, probably a southern, more southern than probably up here. I don't know that for sure. But when the daddies say, well, he needs to rub dirt on it and stick up for himself and go punch him in the nose, that doesn't work. One, with zero tolerance policies in the school, if that happens, the kid that is the aggressor is out of the school, period. And that's a whole different trajectory for that child. Um, so there's little evidence to support this notion that it builds character. Susan Porter and I have never met. We disagree strongly. She's famous. I'm not. It's okay. But I, I'm just going to say we disagree strongly. Um, her take on it is that bullying is basically name-calling, teasing, etc. I think that the issue is how you define it. And I'm not defining that as bullying. When it's repeated, it's chronic, that's when you have problems. So let me tell you about Isabel. And I'm telling you about Isabel for a specific reason. Isabel's father will die of pancreatic cancer if it goes as it's supposed to go before I get back to the States to help her through that. He'll be dead. She, in fourth grade, was bullied. This is a kid who, professional family, a school that was a single gender private school, lots of money pouring into the school. She was verbally and physically attacked, had names called, she was, she got to the point where she wouldn't go to school. Now that's key for when I'm fixing, when I, when I told you about her dad, right? So she wouldn't go to school in fourth grade because she was so afraid of what would happen when she went in because she was being bullied. The school who's getting the money from these parents didn't want to have a bullying problem, so they didn't really address it in a way that was systematic. And that's been consistent. So over a course of about 12 months, think about the dollars for therapy. 12 months of therapy, and I don't usually do that. I'm a, I'm a brief system focused six or seven sessions and get you out the door. 12 months of therapy, going back to the school, she learned to be 
resilient and to be a hero for others. So she at this point is standing up for other little girls who are getting bullied, which is the outcome that you want. That's where you intervene. It takes one good caregiver. It also takes one good friend. If you can get one good friend to stand up for a kid that's being ostracized or bullied, then that wins the day. Problem with Isabel is she learned a behavior when she, when, when she was getting bullied. What was it? School refusal. She wouldn't go to school. She would not go to school because she was being bullied. So now her dad's dying of cancer, and guess what we're fighting every day? Every morning I'm getting a text. She's not going to school. And she's not going to school because she learned at that point not going was allowing her to escape something that was difficult for her, and now she's in the same situation where the stress level's up, and she's replicating that same behavior. So we can't just say it's done. It is a significant impact on kids' lives, and it alters the course of the trajectory. So don't take it lightly. The impact of bullying and ostracism have become abundantly clear to Taylor, not just professionally, but also personally. He tells us a story about his daughter, Kelly Gray. Kelly Gray, good gracious. Kelly Gray has got ADHD like you would not believe. 0.7 heritability factor. The other person in the boat also has ADHD, ADD. So it's a genetic contributor, right? My wife, if she didn't have a list and doesn't have it checked off, she's compensated. She's learned how to do it, but it's a, it's a difficulty. So we put Kelly Gray from a public school to a private school when she was in fourth grade for convenience and because I thought that she was smart enough to handle it, and she is. But what happened was she got in the school, and this is where we got to really have a conversation. My mother's a teacher, my grandfather's a professor, my, my sister's a professor, I'm a professor, I love teachers. But she was in a school where the teacher had so much stress on them to perform that her behavior, her externalizing, got to the point where they couldn't manage it. Not only could they not manage it, they didn't want to manage it in a way that was systematic. They didn't want to incrementally assess her, which is how you do this, to get the right medical dose. So I had my pediatrician buddy on board. We were all talking to these teachers every day, getting data, and it drove them nuts. They didn't want to deal with it. And they were asking her things like, have you taken your medicine today? And they were calling and saying, she hadn't taken her medicine, you got to come pick her up, et cetera, et cetera. So we transitioned her, which I don't like doing. We, we left on a Thursday, we left, and on a Monday she was in a different school. Now, Taylor says his daughter's reaction after that day of school, which you're about to hear, is why. Friends or teachers? Teachers, everybody, and never my friends. I can't handle it. I just not know if you're like about to blow up. I can't do it anymore. I don't want to be in that school. I want to go to a different school where people are nice to me, like Bella. That was great, but then you changed me to Justin Day, and everybody put pressure on me. I can't do it anymore. Too hard for me. Do you think maybe it's just because you're in third grade and it's getting harder now? <laughs> I don't know. I just don't feel good. I feel like getting struck by lightning. You 
feel like you're getting struck by lightning. I can't do it anymore. I just want to go to sleep and never wake up again. I just feel so I studied this stuff before I was blessed with a daughter. But when you put it in the context of what it does to kids long term, it is significant. So when you see a kid getting bullied, or you see a little girl getting ostracized, or you're getting frustrated, which we all do, with the kids who are up and down and all over the place, be mindful of all of the things that can happen and the way you respond to it. And try to get their peers to wrap around it. Okay, cool? Thanks. Sartenko, and you've been listening to Apple Talks. For more information, visit www.applemag.ca.